0: Everyone, welcome to the next episode of Radio TFS, episode number 26, Random Stuff. I'm Mickey Gousset, and with me today, I've got Paul Hacker. Hi, Paul.
1: Hey, Mickey. And Martin Woodward. Hi, Martin. Hey, Mickey. Good to have us all on the line at the same time. We haven't done this for a while.
0: Exactly. It's been too long, too long. So our we have a plan for today, and our plan for today is really kind of no plan whatsoever. We're just going <laughs> to kind of catch up. Talk about some different stuff that we want to talk about around Team System and Team Foundation Server, and just see where what the conversation leads us. So, Paul,
2: what have you been up to? Actually, I've been laying low, Mickey. I haven't done a lot. I've, uh, you know, done a presentation here, or there, and uh, just trying to keep up with work and family, and that's about it. Playing with the new bits, of course, Beta One,
0: which are available out there for anyone who would like to download them. We can put them, put a link to them in the show notes. I highly recommend that you do what about you martin i know you've been busy oh yeah
1: yeah been busy um so as you know beta 1 came out and so we're obviously been uh, coding hard against that trying to get um everything in team prize working against all the new features you know in tfs 2010 so that's keeping us busy the, the the plan is to have um like a public preview of the of the 2010 bits ready uh you know for the end of the year sometime in quarter 4 this year and then um uh, we're still on on track to to ship team prize, uh version four with TFS twenty ten when they RTM. We're trying to we're trying to sim ship, so that's that's that gives us all sorts of fun. Especially as the the team internally themselves are you know busy dog feeding TFS twenty ten and things, and we've got customers internally in Microsoft as well. So so it's all good. It keeps me very busy at nights. <laughs> oh, that's how about, awesome. How about you, Mickey? So- you've been keeping. I know you've been a bit poorly. Yes, I've been
0: a little under the weather, been fighting pneumonia, which is really strange to be fighting pneumonia in August. But but since Tech Ed I've been just kind of working away. I have drafted Martin into a super secret project, which I can't we can't tell anyone about yet, but that you'll hear about in a couple of months, I'm sure. Just there's a little tease. I'll start giving you more little teases and other podcasts to get people to come back. And I've been so freaking busy, you've probably noticed that Team System Rocks has not been getting updated as much as it needs to. That's gonna change starting next week. So I appreciate all the people that, that hit Team System Rocks that have been sticking with me through this rough patch. It's kinda of hard to get caught up on everything when you deal with pneumonia, but I've been playing with the with the beta one as well, looking at some of the new features, playing with some of the architecture stuff specifically. And but I want to go back to, to your comment. So we're gonna be able to get a a team prize, the team prize bits. Before they actually release, I mean, we'll be we'll have one that'll work with like beta one or one of the later betas that comes out.
1: Yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, one of the later betas that, that, that you know we'll we'll have a release that'll work against that because we've got um, customers, you know, that want to use that use prizes in their scenario and they want to give feedback to Microsoft, you know, on beta testing how it's mm-hmm. going, and so they need to they need to have Team Prize working before they can really give a, an accurate. You know, judgment if if twenty ten works for them or not. So yep, keeps me busy.
0: <laughs> and I just got an email that said that I was listed in the INETA newsletter this month as a regional speaker.
1: Oh. So that's
0: kinda cool. That's a new program that INETA started up to try to, to try to get speakers into into more regional dot net groups. So I signed up for it and they put all my info in the newsletter. So we'll see if anything comes of that. I'm hoping to to get back to start speaking here in
1: the next couple of months. I might have to have a chat with you about that, Mickey. We're trying to uh, um, – we're, we're uh, iNet are affiliated, you know, my local user group, but we're having, like, trouble getting, you know, getting back to the mothership and things. So I'll, I might have a chat with you about that offline. So there we go. Excellent. Um, so before we talk about 2010, I mean, are you, you know, we're all early adopters. Who Who's running Windows 7? Me.
2: Actually, oh. I'm not. I'm running 2008 Um, because I need to take advantage of Hyper-V. So I have Windows 7 running in a VM. Or a Hyper V server basically. Yeah. So um I'm not really using it as my day to day operating system.
0: Well I I had to, I had a hard choice whether I wanted to go server two thousand eight or Windows seven because all of our training laptops use server two thousand eight. But I decided to go ahead and go Windows seven and I I'm loving it. I, I love the the vir- virtual machines in it. They 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 just they work and they work pretty easy. Actually, believe it or not, my favorite feature so far that I've seen in Windows 7 is the new taskbar at the bottom. Where if I've got you know five Internet Explorer windows open, I can just hover over the um, icon and it shows me a preview of all five windows. And then I can just easily sw- select which window I want to open.
1: Yeah, so, I've been enjoying the jump lists quite a lot. You know where you can you can go down and you sort of move your mouse up from the icon at the bottom and it brings up a little jump list of things and then you can go to that's, your recent documents. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's really handy. Sure. With So I've got uh, the, the, the Office, you know, uh, technical preview installed on the same machine as well. And it's brilliant. It all works great. It's all very shiny and new and, yeah, it all works a bit too well. So on my little MacBook Pro here in front of me, I've got, like, Windows 7 running on it and then on the other side, it's got, you know, Snow Leopard running on it as well. So, yeah, I'm all all juiced up with early adopter goodness when it comes to operating systems. Great.
0: And it's not necessarily early adopter goodness, but I highly recommend that um, people go out and check out um, Scott Hanselman's blog. I think he just updated his, his super tool list that he updates once a year. I always find something new to add to my collection out there.
1: Yep. It's... Uh, well, there's some... One of them that I used that wasn't on that list actually, but uh, while we're talking about utilities and stuff, um, it's done by like SourceGear, you know, like the sister company of TeamPrize, and they do a free uh, diff merge utility. If you just search for SourceGear and then diff merge um nice and it's i'm just i had a tricky problem yesterday i was trying to figure out why something was working in one area and wasn't working in the other and it's just brilliant at doing like huge folder comparisons and file comparisons and things you know it's much much better than the the merge tool that comes built in with visual studio and you can you can configure it to run as an external diff merge tool you know in team foundation server so there's a top tip for everybody
0: oh wait i've got one i've got one so I've got a desktop and a laptop that I use, and right now, and I've always wanted to be able to to just use one keyboard on um, both. Synergy. Ah, uh, no, because Synergy doesn't play well with Windows Seven, oh. as far as I can tell. So I went around looking and found another free one called Input Director, which you can Ooh. find at inputdirector.com. It's It's easier to set up than Synergy, and it works with with Windows 7. So I've now got my keyboard and mouse hooked up to my desktop that's running um, 64-bit Vista. And then I have my laptop running Windows 7. And using Input Director, I'm easily sharing my, my mouse and keyboard across both.
1: Nice. So, that looks good. Oh, and it's got pictures for configuration. That looks a lot easier than Synergy. It's pretty much you click this
0: button to make one a master, click the other one to make it a slave, and there you go.
1: Sweet. I'll have to give that a go. Fantastic. Thank you, Mickey. So, so why don't we talk about beta one, shall we? Sure. Let's let's do it. So um, one of the things I've been playing with, as you know, I, you know, I have to get involved with some of the the, the low-level stuff. Oh, before we talk about that, wh- why don't we just talk about the setup for a minute? How much better setup now? Oh, yeah, and that's whoa. one of the things I've mentioned. Yeah, It is just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's night and day. <laughs> you know, somebody spent a lot of time on that. And for people who haven't tried it yet, it, it's done in like a, a two stage thing. So you have, you're obviously, you know, you, you have the install of the bits and then you have the actual, you know, setup and configuration where you go in and, and configure um, project collections and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So. No, it's, um, it's very good. It was, I haven't had much trouble with it at all. And it, it seems to work a lot better doing, you know, non-standard configurations. If you want to, if you want to vary a bit off the, off the standard install, it seems to work pretty well. I don't know. What have you guys found? I haven't had any problems with it. I've run the install, I think
0: twice and both times it ran smooth. And then I like all the new configuration options you have. I mean, you know, there's a lot of new changes that come with the whole project collections and all that kind of stuff, new ways of thinking about things. But as far as just the general setup in general, it's it's been sweet every time I've done it. What about you, Paul?
2: You know, I ran into an issue, and this is this really kind of got me. I didn't realize that it would happen. Is I set up my VM uh, on my domain, okay? So I took my laptop with me, and I was working on finishing the install and setting up some team projects and things like that. And I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't actually install the bits. I had everything set up, but the TFS itself. So I had the prereqs, the IIS, SQL Server, all that. I went to install the application TFS, and it wouldn't let me because it wasn't, it couldn't find the domain. It was still looking for the domain during the setup. Uh-huh. So I had to build a machine that wasn't on my domain, so that when I'm off my domain, I could actually do the install.
1: Yeah, and use the use Windows work group authentication mode sort of thing.
2: Right, right, exactly. So that's the one gotcha that I didn't realize. And so, you know, I pinged back on the list with that. And, uh, you know. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, in a way, what what it, that's because it, it actually does a very comprehensive prerequisite check now, doesn't it? So it checks all the IDs are there and work and does lots of checks right. to stop you from going wrong. So it's because of those checks being in place that you kind of got beaten you know said, hey you're not on the domain
2: <laughs> which i was bummed cause i got there and i'm like okay i'm gonna set up tfs today i'm gonna play i had some time set aside and it just flopped and i was just oh not 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 the day i wanted that to happen but yeah. lesson less-
1: Good one. yeah so talking about project collections and stuff um that's something i've happened to have been getting my head around because i'm actually coding the new like connection experience at the minute so how you actually get hold of a team foundation server. So it's probably worth a bit of a, bit of a talk about if you've got time, if that's okay with you guys. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, um, there's this new, so a team foundation server, what we used to know it, you know, it it used to connect to it on say, you know, a URL of uh, TFS, uh, colon eighty eighty Yeah. And that was a team foundation server. That's the application. That's where everything lived and always good. And we, we understood it and we understood its limitations in, uh, 2010 they've introduced this new concept called a project collection and in in many ways a project collection is very similar to to what we think of as a, a team foundation server today you know um, change sets start at number one on a project collection and go up you know um, team projects belong to a project collection. Um, And all the work item processes and things, they're all scoped per the project collection. But the really good thing is that you can have multiple project collections on a Team Foundation server application instance is what I'm calling it. So your install of TFS, you can have multiple project collections on there and each project collection can have multiple team projects in it and the project collections are very you know very well isolated from each other so if you add stuff into you know the the default project collection then it's not available to project collection two and that sort of thing does that make sense
2: oh yeah yeah to me it makes complete sense because i've been playing (laughs) with that it's, it's this is this is so cool because not only can you install multiple you know, team project collections within a, an instance of TFS, but you can also use a different data tier per project collection. So if you want to put if for example, say you have regulated and non-regulated data, but you wanted to use one TFS application tier, you could have a project collection called regulated and have a project collection called non-regulated, and they could both point at different instances of SQL server.
1: Yeah. Which and, is- what's, yeah and what's really cool as well, obviously, is now that, it used to be with team foundation server that you had to install it on a on a named instance of SQL server and you, know, you had to give it a whole instance and it would install like a bunch of databases in there you know one for version control one for work item tracking so on and so forth whereas now with the project collections each project collection points to a database in SQL server and that database doesn't have to get created by the install of TFS. You know, that database could exist already, which which is how it happens. You know, quite often you'll go to your DBAs and say, hey, can I have a database, please, on, on my shared SQL Server infrastructure? And they'll they want to create it for you and create accounts on it. And then you can type that information into TFS. And it'll, it'll use um, that database to store everything in for that project collection. So all the work I am tracking, all the version control, thing. which is, again, there's so many benefits. Because now you can just, if you back up that, um, that, that single database, that's all you need to do, take a consistent backup of TFS is just the backup of the one database. It makes that a lot easier. And you can move it around between, you know, between database server instances you could move that database over to a new one and then repoint your project collection to point to this new database that and
2: is it, so awesome yeah That is it, awesome
1: it's, It makes that it makes that whole thing um, just work so much easier and then um, and because all these project collections you know they live in this TFS application instance this uh, this is you know the thing you install and put the TFS bits on it the application tier if you like um they've, they've done it as well. You know, the project collections are off, so you can have them point into a database. You can also have multiple application tiers servicing the same project collection. Um, and that means that you can, you can now load balance. You know, you can put a network load balancer in front of these Team Foundation server application tiers um, so that it can, you know, you can load balance your application tier as well as your database tier now. So I guess for you, Paul, with your with your hosted TFS, this is going to be 2010 is going to be really good for you.
2: Oh, it's 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 just amazing. I, I am. In fact, yesterday I was architecting for a client who wants to do literally the same thing I'm doing with my hosting business is they want to host it to their organization with a scaled out application tier is what they call it and a scaled out data tier. So they're going to use multiple databases on the back end with multiple application tiers and like you say, a network a network uh, load balancing appliance in front. You know this is this is great stuff. I mean, it's going to cut down on infrastructure. It's going to cut down on, uh, for this client at least, it's going to cut down on DBA costs, on SAN storage, on all kinds of things. um, Just with this whole new this whole new architecture they have in place.
1: So um, one of the things I was going to mention as well about these project collections and the databases when when the application tier talks to the needs to talk to a project collection. it you know gets the hold of a database connection and catches that database connection keeps the database alive for a bit. One of the great things is actually if you're not using that project collection for a period of time and it's not a particularly long period of time, um, it'll it'll let go of those connections and and kind of free up all the resources it would have been using you know talking to that project collection. So what that means is that you can you know you can have like a load of project collections on your machine and. Um, any that you're not using in effect aren't taking any resources up anymore, aren't slowing down any of the clients. You know, uh, it's just um, yeah, th- that's really good. Site that improves. That's going to hopefully improve performance. No end when it comes to people who've you know got projects that have been sitting around for a long time. And again, for you, Paul, that's going to be great for you as a hosting company because now all you've got to worry about is the number of active project collections that you've got to you've got to support, rather than the total number of projects. You know.
0: So so what. If anything, does the upgrade path look like? Has anyone tried doing an upgrade? Is there even an well, upgrade path at this point?
2: 2008, the beta one you're talking, Mickey?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to be doing it. <laughs> huh? So I'm in what's called the um, technology adopter program, you know, for Team Foundation, Server so team prizes. So, um, And one of the things Microsoft is sort of trying to encourage like a, a, a select group of beta test companies to, uh, to to run on beta one as soon as possible. Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing the upgrade soon and actually um and down to be practicing that this week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, probably end up being next week now, but um, yeah, so we're going to be doing it, but there will be a upgrade process, you know, um, in 2008 RTM from 2008 to the RTM, the, the released version. Of uh, 2010 there will definitely be an upgrade process there and what that does is it moves all of your team projects on your current server into a default project collection on the on the new you know on the new 2010 server and um, so it creates a default project collection puts them all into there and then there are still a few manual steps that need to be done um, if you want to use all the features in 2010 because 2010's got a bunch of new you know got a bunch of new testing features in it in yeah. team suite oh no, so, yes yeah and but well, all those testing features use test work item types as we discussed actually in the in the last episode if you go back i don't know if you guys have listened to it yet the, the chat I had with anthony if um, yeah we talked about the you know how they're all stored as work item types mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of new work item controls and things and, um you have to actually add those into your uh you know your your process cuz it'll take your process that you had in 2008 and it'll just upgrade it over to 2010 it won't it won't add in all the new features because you might have completely customized your process you know it's no way of knowing if you had something which was based on the msf agile bug and you renamed it and made it something else and added a few fields and changed it around it's no way of being able to tell. Oh, hey, this is MSF Agile. I'll I'll, I'll add some stuff into that because you know I right. get it horribly wrong. So you have to actually manually add those add those In into your work right. items, which is you know it's going to be hopefully by the time like people do this for real, early adopters like ourselves will have uh, will have hit most of the pain points and you know and, and it'll be a pretty pretty well worked out process. But that bit is going to be manual. Okay. Um, what's even more interesting is that um, the is you know when we're talking about work items and stuff, is getting all that hierarchical work item goodness to work. We would look. At, I was. Have you had a chance to play with like the um, the new Excel integration and the Excel planning workbooks and things like that?
0: I've I've played with it somewhat. It's it's pretty sweet. The Excel workbook and 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 whatnot. Just the in general being able to, to mess with your hierarchical work items is very easy to do in Excel and then you're also getting all these extra workbooks that have all kind of planning and and I call them almost dashboard kind of looks. So I mean the workout tracking system has in my opinion undergone a significant upgrade.
1: Yeah, just to some of the, the crazy stuff in the Excel sheet so you can you know you can set like um, resource, You're like you know, I'm going to be off on holiday next week, and you know we've got this amount of time free, the team, and it can kind of work out if people are underloaded or overloaded. You know the kind of things you'd have to invest a lot of money in Project Server and be a you know Microsoft Project guru, and and to to be able to do in the past, you can now kind of do with TFS and a and a, and a spreadsheet, which is a bit more you know hopefully a bit more attainable for most of us.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's- those workbooks are really nice. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to, to how c- clients are going to be using them. Who's going to really be taking advantage of all of this in there? Like you said, the resources.
0: It's interesting because I'm looking at how they're doing the agile, the agile stuff because it's the agile template that's really gotten the upgrade in, in 2010.
1: NFL, and it's looking,
0: yeah. So far, and it's looking more and more Scrum-like in, in some of the some of the ways it, it, it refers to things, or not necessarily refers to things, but in the ways it can be used. It just reminds me sometimes of Scrum.
1: Yeah definitely they they have seemed they haven't just made technical improvements to the process have they you know they've actually it looks like they've sat down and and improved the process <laughs> not not just the technology in the process does that make sense
0: yes oh, yeah. it does Now, of course there'll always still be scrum that you you know there's, there's there'll actually be scrum process templates that you'll be able to use with 2010 at some point too if mm. you want to if you do that kind of thing so
1: I was chatting with the you know the boys from EMC the other day, and they seem to be pretty you know far ahead in their their plans for um, and their support of 2010 in their you know the the famous Conchango Scrum template. So I'll be interested to see that one. That's the that's the one that I like to use. Mm, it's one of, we're going to have it in our you know our main test plan is one of the ones that we're testing against when we're when we're testing all the work item features. So no, I'll get to play that quite a bit. It should be good fun. Excellent. Anything else that you guys wanted to call out that you've been enjoying? That's
0: that covers most of it for me. I'll have a lot more to talk about next time we we, we record because as I said, um I'll have been working on my super secret project with Martin. There's another,
1: you know, hint drop. <laughs> so, <laughs> Paul's feeling really bad because we haven't told him what it is yeah, yet. <laughs>
2: yeah, I've got left out in the cold here, guys.
1: Uh, we'll, we'll we'll let we'll let Paul in on the super secret project after we stop recording. Yeah, no, I'll I'll forget to edit that bit out, maybe. There we are. So uh, uh, yeah. one of the things I wanted to mention to you guys, um, I'll put a show, I'll put a, a link to it in the show notes. But uh, Matt Mitrick did a, um, he's the PM for the version control team. And and he did a, a blog post about um I think he called it item mode versus slot mode. Yes. Um and that's worth reading the blog post. And I mean it's a bit heavy, you know, trying to understand it all. It's quite heavyweight. But read through it. Um and hopefully in the next beta you'll get you'll get to sort of see some of this stuff for real. But um basically they've kind of changed something really quite fundamental at the heart of TFS in how version control works. Um, but it it's simplifying things. In the past, Team Foundation Server, it stored, um, it remembered all the files by like an item ID. Um, so every time, you know, when you checked a file in, it was assigned an item ID. And then when you renamed it or moved it around, you know, in, in, in the tree structure, it still kept the same item ID. Um, which meant it was really easy to, to to when you were doing like renames, you know, it's is it very easy to see the history um bef- through a rename operation because, you know, it was the same item ID. So that made that very, very trivial. But the downside is it, it made some um some of the merge operations, you know, start to become really complicated. Um especially if you you know, if you rename a file and then add a file of the same name in. You know, that had the old name in sort of thing in the branch and, and then try and merge that in. You know, what do you expect to happen? And there's lots of counterintuitive merge behavior. And, and sometimes you could even get yourself into a merge that you just couldn't do in a single check-in. You know, you had to do a few check-ins to get it work, which wasn't good. So, um, and it, and it was a big... Believe it or not, it was a big um, performance um, thing on the system—a big, you know, a big source, a big performance bottleneck on the system, and um, w- which they found during their own their own like dog-fooding of Team Foundation Server. So. We mentioned this in the show we did with Grant a couple of episodes ago, but they 've changed their the schema completely in the de- in the version control, which is why people um why Microsoft tell you never to go against the database because they change it regularly and here's a, here's an example of a, of a big change where they 've completely changed how every single item is referred to <laughs> completely and and now internally they 're all referred to by the path you know the the actual um they 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 call it the slot you know the, the path that they occupy in in the repository that's how they're all known in a system and how this is how this gets seen to you actually you know in the user interface if you were to say add a file you know add foo.txt and then delete foo.txt and then you to add foo.txt again if you did a view history on that in the in 2008 you would just see the second foo.txt in the history you know what i mean you just see foo.txt added on, you know, September third or whatever. Um, if you do a view history on that in 2010, when again this isn't in the current bait we've got our hands on, this is just based on what Matt said, then what it does is um, you'll see the add on the third of September, but you'll then you'll behind that you'll see the delete of the old one and and the old one originally getting added, you know, a month ago or whatever it was. So yeah, that's a big difference. Um, and renames they they're actually done behind the scenes that's done as like a branch and then a and then a uh, yeah, it's basically similar to a branch, so a branch and a delete so you um when you rename a file um it gets moved you know in source control, and the old one gets removed from the position it was in which would have caused a problem in in two thousand eight world because you wouldn't have been able to see the history of it you know before that move. Uh, but now you can because you just, um, uh, as with all branch histories in Team Foundation Server 2010, you, um, you get to see the history from before the branch by clicking on a little twisty in the history view. And then that will show you the history a bit up to that point in time. So, yeah, some big changes. So it's worth having a play. And I think things like that, they'll only affect, you know, people like us who've been using it for a long time. Hopefully people new to TFS will just go, oh, yeah, that's how it works. And, and everybody will find it a lot more logical. You know, because the system's handling files based on stuff that you understand, that you can see, you know, the path that it is in source control, and it's not handling files by a thing which is totally invisible to you, which is this arbitrary item ID. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that made sense to anyone. If, if anyone wants to read more about it, then, as I say, check out the show notes link <laughs> the Matrix blog post, or you can check out the show notes for Grant's post as well. And I think, um, you know, it was definitely Grant's where we talked about it.
0: So the, the moral of the story is beta one is out, beta and if you haven't downloaded it, installed it, and started playing with it, and you're going to be a, a you know heavy to moderate team system user, it's definitely worth your time to do so. There's you know, you could download virtual PC and and, and inst- get up a virtual machine and start playing with it, but it's definitely worth the time because there there are a lot of good changes coming and you'll want to understand what those changes are so you can make use of them and hit the ground running as soon as this thing RTMs.
1: You made a good point there, Mickey, as well, about installing it into a virtual PC. Yeah, don't, be, don't be relying on it for production yet.
2: Yeah, definitely. Not a production uh, setup yet. But one of the things I'd like to touch on is that in kind of going back to the uh, Excel integration pieces, we talked about the resource management you can try to do, you know, in, um, in the Excel workbooks. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I've been getting some questions on is where is project server integration with TFS? And so, um, because because of all the new hierarchical work items, um, in in, the, in 2008, as people know, you couldn't map that hierarchy into TFS because it just wasn't possible. And now, today, you're going to, in 2010, you're going to be able to map that hierarchy back and forth between Project Server. So any any announcement on whether or not there's going to be full project server integration, um, I'm not sure that it's actually been announced, um, how that's going to work or anything yet. Um, but I'm sure in, in future podcasts, we'll be talking more about it and you'll be seeing more blog posts in the future on that topic. Um, but... Uh,
1: so we, need, the, we need to track somebody down and, and ask them the question. Then, don't we?
2: Exactly. We need to track somebody down, ask them the question, and try and nail somebody down with an answer. But the thing is, is that right now, the, just the fact that they're, they're tightening up that integration bec- between um, project and TFS is just it's just great for those people that are using project server because I have a lot of project admins that won't use TFS because project server doesn't integrate with the tool. And it's kind of crazy that they don't want to use it just for that reason. but. You know that's that's some of the pushback I've been I've been hearing about.
1: So I know I know we're I know we're running. You know this is this is probably a tangent for another talk. But uh, I have a I have a bit of an issue with with the whole notion of kind of project server integration with TFS because TFS is all about tracking time at a very granular level. You know individual tasks and items and those sorts of things and bugs. Whereas to me, in projects, you should really be what you should have on your Gantt chart in project um, is kind of what is, cu- we currently use is like areas and iterations, you know, especially the iterations node. So in the, in this week, two week block of time, we will be working on X thing at a higher level. You know what I'm saying? And you, you shouldn't, Really, be going in. You should be using the tasks at a much lower level in TFS than you would want to have in a project plan. If you're doing project planning, how it should be done, and not going to fine grain level. Which I think the temptation is to go too fine grain level with project planning, and that's where a lot of projects get into trouble. Does that make sense? Completely yes, it does. 100. But the problem is obviously they can't in the minute because areas and iterations are like this completely magical thing. You know, they're not. They're not work items currently yet maybe. Right. I don't know. Maybe they're in Conchango. I can't remember how they do it. Um, yeah, so they're not areas and integrations, and so we're managing them with project. And yeah, so if people do the project server integration, they're going to start, you know, seeing like tasks and bugs flowing in, and they'll think, we'll think everything's gravy, but I'm not sure if that's the right way to go or not. Uh, i have to think about that. We should probably bring somebody in who knows a lot more about this area, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and test them out on it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, as usual, we've run a Run a little long, but
0: I think we've had some great conversations. It's been good to catch up with both of y'all and I'm sure as we start delving in more even more into beta one, we're gonna have a lot more interesting stuff to talk about on the podcast. so I want to thank you, Martin, and I want to thank you, Paul for joining us again today and all our listeners for sticking with us again, we're on episode twenty six which I think is really cool. We're a quarter of a way to episode one hundred. Hopefully, we'll still be doing this when we hit that hit that magic number. <laughs> Or let's shoot for episode 50, even better.
1: Well, there's plenty enough for us to talk about, that's for sure. Exactly. So on behalf of, of
0: all of us, I want to say thank you, and we'll see you again soon.
1: Thanks, guys. Oh, excellent.
2: Excellent. So so what's the secret project that I'm not... Oh, oh yeah, go on. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, stop, I brought on. I'll stop the recording. I'm- Here we go. All right there you go.